hear that? Yeah, what the fuck? I think that was a goose. Oh my God. I just heard like a honk, honk, like a honk of a goose. Or uh, it could I have thought been, one of you guys was playing Animal Crossing. It could have been geese. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's a singular or a plural out there because the window's closed. But sorry, you were interrupted by some very frustrating Canadian geese. There, I believe. <laughs> Time the clock ticks faster. That'll be the hour they knock the slick blaster. Dick dastardly and muttly with sick laughter. A gunfight and they come to cut the mix master. I see E. Cole. Nice to be Welcome to episode 28 of the Exit Tangent Quarantine Dispatch. You know that 28 is divisible by 7? What? That's fucking wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, does time pass? <laughs> we are here in the year 2021 on the first day of January. Life is beautiful. We all have hopes and dreams, and we're out here trying to achieve them crush them <laughs> trying to crush our hopes and dreams trying to crush them with our own actions uh wmbr in cambridge and i'd like to ask each of the other hosts <laughs> what what hopes and dreams of them their own that they would like to crush starting with hector oh god wait okay i was just joking about the crushing but do you mean like uh accomplishing or do you mean crushing as in like self-sabotage like self-sabotaging yourself Self-sabotage is acceptable. Oh. <laughs> well, honestly, uh, I need to start being early to everything. Uh, like, no matter what it is. You usually are pretty late. No, actually, what I've, what I've known about Hector over the years is he's usually exactly on time. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, whenever he shows it to band practice, we're always like, oh my gosh, you're here right at the exact second. So you know that's not true. <laughs> Wait, which, which <laughs> well, so 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 there's that, but it's also like uh, like not just like uh, lateness in arriving, but lateness in a lot of other things. But uh, but yeah, so so I'm probably what. I, are, uh, are you talking about sexual intercourse? No, this is a this is a, this is gonna be on the radio, so obviously not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> beep 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 beep. <laughs> but uh, no no. no um, I'm like gonna try to like do things so that I set whatever clocks I have like an hour in advance, uh, so that way you know no matter what I'll be I'll be early. Isn't that called daylight um, savings time? Uh, yeah, but it'll be every day for me. The only thing though is that I have to remember I have to set a reminder to for me to do that, and I haven't set the reminder yet. So I'm gonna hopefully after this make a reminder to. You know, make that reminder, so that way it'll remind me to set my you know clocks and times and stuff an hour ahead of time. Self sabotage. So hopefully, I'll remember. Yeah, hopefully, I'll remember that. I, I did that in middle school. I would set my watch a couple minutes early so I wasn't late to class, and surprisingly, it it actually worked. Yeah, yeah, it it does. Um, well, I theoretically it does. <laughs> <laughs> you have to try it out empirically. But pragmatical people who've done it, apparently, like Noah here, uh, say it works. <laughs> I, I, I also word misky. I also do words. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on pop phonics ever since COVID started. Man, pragmatical is some of my least favorite enterprise software. I just had to come out and say it. Yeah. Thank you for letting, us, letting that be known. Uh, I feel like this episode we have to really spit fire because uh, rip MF Doom, you know? Oh, yeah. That's been Appar- pretty wild. E- 
And MF Doom, like in in his own style, he passed away on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the day the day where like everyone wears masks. <laughs> That's so spooky. It was a very fitting day for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I think that in his honor, we should all wear masks every time we go outside. Yeah, for <laughs> let's say four to five more months. Yeah, yeah, at least probably probably more like eight, but four or five, hopefully. Uh, what what else? Oh yeah, self sabotage. Sorry, we we're getting off on a tangent there. Oh, speaking of self sabotage, <laughs> I had I had I had, I had read yeah. that um, a lot of the vaccines that are going to be distributed might actually expire. What do you mean? Does that count as self sabotage? Oh, there was actual <laughs> sabotage. Did you guys hear about this at a California hospital? Yeah, there, there, there were these. There was oh, this yeah. like anti vaxxer shithead like like person who like took out like some of the vaccines and like like long enough for them to like go bad and then like put them back in the fridge that person was recently arrested um so cool very bad. how does a person of that mentality get like, like was this a nurse i i i saw a, a brief headline but it didn't yeah how do you get into healthcare? and okay all right i don't know how many nurses you have in your family in the immediate circle of your family back home a, a handful but not not many my mom's a nurse and i've met a lot of nurses and i have a cousin who's a nurse um you'd be surprised <laughs> yeah. i i think the the like this kind of reminds me of how like sometimes like jewish people will like get into like the whole like george soros like alt-right like triple parenthesis shit like and, like it, that's just the same thing but with like the whole like anti-vax community like there are some people who are just like gonna be like nurses or, or like healthcare workers in general that still get caught up in the thing because they're just like i don't know there's just something that like happens in people's minds i guess like when they get exposed to that stuff uh a little a little too much yeah mm. it can happen to anyone uh turn back now you know am i looking back uh oh wait sorry that's not that's not oh, what we're yeah. doing right now <laughs> All right, self sabotage. I'm so stressed about that. That yeah, song. Recording. Yeah. Uh, Noah, I don't know if you've heard, but we're working on a song, and there was some of the lyrics. Uh, but no, I did not know. Yeah, it'll H- come out later. Hector is Hector is shaking his head in shame. Honestly, like I, I am extremely tired of, of the song. <laughs> it's because you just need to like cement it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah. It's like it's like uh, w- once you finish with the guitars, that's like. That's it for for you, I guess. I I have to go then spend a whole week like mixing the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I like I realized that yesterday. I was like, I'm, I was very tired of this, and then I remember that you have to like. <laughs> I don't know how long you're gonna spend. Oh yeah, and Miski has to record vocals, which is gonna take a long time. <laughs> yeah, self sabotage. All right, so I think that at work during meetings, I can tend to get a little bit bored if someone's talking about something that I have no agency over, and so I'll start doing a crossword, and then after about ten minutes of that, someone will say. Hey, Jacob Miski, what do you think? And I'll be like, huh? And I'll be like, yeah, that design is great. That's self-sabotage because then a few days later, they'll be like, all right, can you tell us more about that design? And I'll be like, I hope my coworkers don't listen to WMBR. Yeah. But I think that happens to a lot of people in the workplace, so. especially in the remote, remote work setting, you know? Mm. I don't know. Is anyone else here distracted during meetings? Of course. Meetings are a, a real sap on my on my energy, like... I'm I'm a pretty introverted person, and so like going into meetings at work uh, can be extremely draining. And if they last any longer than an hour, then like I end up just checking out mentally whether I want to or not. Every now and then I'll get like a two-hour meeting where I'm actually in it on like I'm focused the whole time, but that happens very rarely. Yeah, like I I think like 
there there might have been some meetings where it was like you know a complete emergency situation at like MIT for one reason or another, like you know Hall Rush, like Hall Rush. I was engaged all forty eight thousand hours of that of that particular night, um, but like but like that, that that's where it like where it's like oh I'm I had to like be in the like my head has to be in the game and it's like if that kind of stuff doesn't happen like literally all the time then it's like okay well i can like save up some energy and then like (laughs) expend all of it on this like overnight (laughs) meeting yeah um but like if it's just like oh like i have like seven hours of like back-to-back meetings and it's like not all the it's 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 like you know there, there there could be like a time in the meeting where like somebody like gets caught up in something like it's like they're, they're like doing some troubleshooting on something that has really nothing to do or like we're just kind of like trying to figure out what's going on or like whatever like if the meeting isn't like really like well organized like 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 definitely like th- that can be like a venue to be like oh like it's it, it's it's like once you get off the train it's hard to like get, get back, back on once once it's just like okay well what the fuck are we doing here <laughs> i don't know yeah i've been there before two two one two Oh yeah, this this episode we're talking about copyrights. Um, I linked the other host of this program, a forty-two minute YouTube video by Tom Scott. Did you guys watch it? I did. Yes. And <laughs> and that's everyone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear any news, so it looks like we're good to go. <laughs> On another note, Hector has been fired. <laughs> Sorry, all I... three members of the podcast have watched the the video. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, I've. Well, can you actually? Can you? Can I guess we could try and fill Hector in on what happens? Yeah, the three of us probably can do it. Right? It's like yeah, we can just we we, we can just sort of talk about summarize. Like, like like it's like the ideas aren't like necessarily like oh you had to watch the video to understand like we can just talk about them. So yeah, um, the I, I guess I will start with the basically the beginning-ish of the video. I'm going to pull up my notes. Uh, it starts with a story about somebody, uh, about this Minecraft YouTuber who got a bunch of, like, demonetization notices um, because, like, the theme intro music that he used was, like, was claimed by Warner Chapel, which is, like, a giant record label or something. Um, and people were super mad about it, and it, like, you know, caused a huge storm on the interwebs or whatever. Um, but, like... You know, after after the rounds of like the press happened and like Warner Chapel got its like public flogging, um, they the the person released an update saying that oh the the copyright claim was actually because the like it's like we got permission from the the artist to use the song, but the song samples another song, and that song is owned by Warner Chapel, and so they did the copyright claim. I I, I think um, that that that's kind of an interesting. Uh, sort of like first topic to talk about is the concept of sampling, I guess. Like, you know, how how do you guys feel about that particular uh, sort of like thing of, you know, cop- of, of like intellectual property usage? Uh, we can go into like more sort of general things like later, but 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 I, I was curious to hear what you guys think about sampling. In Logic's new album, No Pressure, uh, there is an interlude section between songs where his producer uh, come, is like being recorded on the phone say, saying, uh, I guess I can bleep this, fuck, we didn't get the sample from you know, XXNL or whatever, some, some company that had the sample they wanted for a song. 
and he's just complaining about it and how they're going to try and find a new another sample which sounds like very similar but like isn't the same sample which kind of like goes to show that it's not copyright is not protecting like always at one particular piece from being uh played but it's protecting like you know even like people can get around that by choosing copies in the case of sampling or not copies but like similar music in the case of samples i didn't really describe that very well but it just seems like you know copyright is not allowing artists to do exactly what they want all the time in the case of some art forms because they have to go to incredible lengths to get what they actually want that's very hard to describe but anyway producer on no no pressure didn't like it sampling so i'm very interested in a music sampling generally but mostly just from an artistic perspective or at least until now i hadn't really thought about the implications for copyrights and so something that i'm wondering about right now is that when you have multiple uh songs like in a chain that sample each other uh like what like one that i just uh was thinking about is the there's an iconic like one of the most famous rap songs the message by grandmaster flash uh samples this like underground new york uh rock band called liquid liquid uh for this one really famous lyric uh slip in and out of phenomenon and that lyric in the grandmaster flash song was then sampled by ice cube and I think that the song Phenomena by Yeah Yeah Yeahs samples that Ice Cube song. So in terms of like the like who owns that lyric and like where that goes in the path, I'm 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 really curious what kind of licensing has to happen when you have this like string of of sampling and music sharing. I think that like, you know, when when like hip hop was starting out in the seventies, like sampling wasn't really like thought about from a legal perspective like people didn't really right. know that it was a thing that you could do um or it was just like you know like you know people like are are doing it at clubs or whatever like they're disc jockeying anyway um just playing whatever songs i don't actually know what the law is regarding like playing music at clubs if you have to get the rights to play those songs like i know that like a lot of bands will play cover songs like in their live sets that they can't record because they would need to get the rights for it. So I have no idea actually what the situation is there. Um, but like in that case, like probably what the, what the like legal thing you would have been like, that would have been done is that like the, that like the original, like, you know, the original song is the song or whatever this recording. And then like Grandmaster Flash would have had to get permission to sample, would have had to get what they, what they call a sample clearance, I guess. Um, Which is just approval, right? Yeah, just approval to use the sample. Uh, the, the, you know, they had to like pay whatever licensing fee or whatever. Um, and then <laughs> Ice Cube would have had to like might have had to pay Grandmaster Flash, um, or I guess like you know cut out the middleman and just use the original song. Um, and then like this fourth person that you mentioned that I can't remember, like also would either yeah. would pay any of those three, but it would probably be most convenient to just sample the original in that in that case if everybody's doing everything like perfectly legally. Um, but there is uh, another kind of like uh, thing like you know of like fair use where where like an, where like uh, if you if you like sample a work, it has to be considered transformative. Uh, unfortunately that whole notion of like transformative is like at the mercy of the court system, which is a huge nightmare. It's all subjective. 
Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and it's, it's subject to the whims of a judge basically. Um, and, and I guess that, that, that's a good like uh, transition point into like the larger thing, which is that like the sort, sort of what seems to be the main idea of Tom Scott's video from what I could gather is that like um, our like sort of the, the, the way that copyright is set up is that um, it was set up under the assumption that like things of things that are super high profile could actually have like the sort of legal infrastructure to sustain all of these sort of legal battles and things like that. to just sort of like talk between lawyers and settle out of court and all of that stuff. Um, but as independent creators um, start to get the same amount of exposure as like, you know, the big dogs, um, pe those people are getting subject to, I guess, similar sort of like, like, like basically people are coming to them with the same sort of like, I guess like expectations and expect yeah expectations yeah, the same expectations and the same like desire for money I guess um, that they that they do with like much larger corporations and it's like uh, YouTube's content ID system was sort of like put in as a way to first of all allow YouTube to continue existing um, but second of all allow these sorts of uh, you know copyright infringement instances um, to be dealt with without having to go through the legal system, which is like a huge nightmare. And it's like, th th there is some kind of, uh, th th there is kind of a huge problem there because it's like, you know, most people like, you know, now that we do live in this age where like anybody can create anything and like, you know, you have like a, if you get struck by lightning, um, then, then you, then you become insanely popular. Like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to like, um, to, to navigate the sort of legal process of that if you're just like one person or a small group of people and you don't have the money to go through all that shit. And so like, mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's like one of the issues with, with this kind of thing. I'm trying to come up with uh, an example. Like, you know, you, you'd expect that in a good just society, there's laws in place to protect people from buying tainted or spoiled produce at a large grocery store. But when you go to a small farmer's market, for example, you don't expect that you have the right to sue Farmer John over his spoiled lettuce that has like uh, some some pathogen on it. And because of that, copyright law needs to adjust for that difference. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because like when, when, you, when you deploy an analogy like that, it kind of implies that like somehow this like stuff that infringes copyright is somehow like tainted in some way where it's not like, 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 like it sort of has like a, like puts a bad sort of connotation to the type of stuff that's going on here. Like I personally, like, I don't know. I, I have like a weird sort of uh, like attitude toward all this, which I guess I should get out of the way, which is that like, I, I like I have these sort of like uh, conflicting ideas about this particular thing, which is that like, I think that like, you know, in that like ideally like intellectual property like shouldn't exist. Um, but I also think that like, artists deserve to be compensated for their work. Um, you know, like, like just everybody like deserves to like, <laughs> like sort of like not exist in poverty and all that kind of stuff. Like, so the same goes for like artists that they, that they should be able to make a decent living um, off of their work if they would like to. But at the same time, like the, 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 the processes by which um, that sort of uh, compensation is insured um, through intellectual property, through that concept is like, like has all of these other problems with it um, that can be really troubling, you know, in things like content ID where, where like there, there, there are some pretty negative things, like, especially in the context of like, you know, teaching people about music in general, it's like, 
you know, there's a lot of insight to be had from like playing a recording and like talking about the recording and all this kind of stuff. But you can't really do that on YouTube and like make money off of that. Like a lot of the time, like your video will just like be quote unquote demonetized, which is that all of the ad revenue goes to the music company, even though like, you know, the, the person who made the video put in all this time and all this work into like, you know, and, and then bring, bring, bringing their sort of expertise and experience to the table to sort of like explain what's going on with the, with the music and all of this kind of stuff like that, that is a sort of thing in itself, but it's like, nope, well, because you use like 30 seconds of this song, like now all of the money goes to these people and it, that doesn't seem like i don't know that just doesn't seem super fair in that particular instance yeah I, yeah and it's like i guess we could get into a whole sort of dialogue about how people feel about this about this concept like like as a whole because i i'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say about that about the small careers being about intellectual property in general okay there obviously was a time where intellectual property uh wasn't a thing right uh, even like you know, long, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I'm curious what the history of intellectual property looks like because now hearing that, I I want kind I kind of want to know where it started and why, because I I know about the patent system, which is similar. I mean, I know that copyrights and patents are different things. They're both. I think they're both under the same sort of category of intellectual property, though. Yeah, when we're talking about music, though, it's it's not patents. It's it's copyright. Um, in the case of patents, uh, some of the first patents were like the cotton gin. You know, it was mechanical devices that you know you want to spur innovation, and so you give people some benefit. You know, you give people time to milk their invention for a healthy profit that encourages people to you know invest money for invention in the first place. Um, and someone can make the same argument in terms of copyright that because there is copyright law to protect artistic works. Uh, more people are invested in jumping into the game. More people are invested in putting out more albums and experimenting more to try and to try and capture something that everyone jumps onto and that they have the right to produce solely themselves. Now, some people these days, I think, argue that copyright does something else. It actually causes a lot of people to make derivative works um, because, like, the big things that are popular and like hold on to the copyright, they want to make something sim- sim- similar that people can also milk but that it does not violate the existing copyrights of works that were similar before it so there's two sides of the same coin there yeah i i I guess i would say that like uh in some cases like it seems to sort of like 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 because of a, a particular issue with copyright that patents don't have like patents only last for 20 years this is also talked about in the tom scott video by the way um like patents only last for 20 years Copyright can last for a kajillion, bajillion years. And, like, there are plenty of giant companies, like Disney especially, that, like, lobby, uh, like, people people in government to ensure that that copyright lasts as long as possible. And so you get some, like, you know, th- there's some really weird shit that happens in there that was also talked about in the video where, like, the, the song... Um, has where like a song has like two separate recordings. One is like the sort of like lead sheet, like the chords, the notes, the lyrics, and all that kind of stuff has its own copyright, sort of like uh, and and that's sort of like held by like a publishing company usually. Um, and then there's also the recording, which is like I think owned by the label usually a lot of the time. Um, and like those are two separate recordings. And like you get some like really weird stuff with that, where like there's a song called St. Louis Blues or St. Louis Blues or whatever. Um, it's like a, it's a tune from like the 1910s, like Tin Pan Alley type situation. Um, and so that song is in the public domain because it's over a hundred years old. 
Um, whereas there's a recording of St. Louis Blues with uh, Bessie Smith and Louis Armstrong from 1925 um, that is still under copyright. And it's like, like at a certain point, like some, like, like it's like if you have like, you know, you have books and you have like the actual songs themselves that are in the public domain, for, like for like for being in for that long. It's like there there are books I think that were written in the 30s that I think now are in the public domain. Like just I was going to say that uh, the Great Gatsby is now in the public domain. So if you want to rewrite the book with the characters to make it a bad book, you know, by all means, you now have that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And it's like so so yeah, there there are there, there are books that are going into the public domain, and like but like this recording that is literally like 95 years old is like. It's like, oh, you can't use it. Like, you can't sample it. You can't play it in like your your radio broadcast without permission. Like, it, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's like, I, I, I actually like like you know like you know my my sort of like you know extreme beliefs aside about about not having intellectual property at all. I think it's ridiculous that we can't even use like the Beatles. Like at this point, the Beatles like all of those recordings are over fifty years old. Mm-hmm. And and like they, they they have been relegated, you know, to the to the dustbin of history or what? Not the dustbin. Uh, <laughs> the like I don't know the the good thing of history. Like they, 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 like they are they are a uh, they, they are an important part of musical history. They changed the world forever with their music or whatever. Like people who like listen to their music when they first came out are all like seventy thousand years old now. Like why should we not be able to like use their songs? and like play their recordings and all that kind of stuff. Like however we want, like, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. It, 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 like, 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 the, like, I don't know. This, this kind of stuff is just ridiculous to me. And, and I think that it also like does sort of uh, stifle creativity a little bit because like, like there are Disney movies that are like based on public domain works like Cinderella or the Lion King or things like that. Um, you know how Shakespeare wrote that Lion King play, um, what? <laughs> that famous, that famous, no, it was about, it was about t- these lions that had this whole situation. You remember Shakespeare's The Lion King? The Big Lebowski is based on Two Gentlemen of Lebowski, which is another Shakespeare play. Yes. The, the, <laughs> the Merchant of Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so... <laughs> Taming of the Lebowski. <laughs> it, 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 so, 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 like, it's like, you know, you have... Like, even a company like Disney has, like, profited immensely off of public domain work. So it's like, yeah. why is it that we are no... That, like, people are no longer granted, like, the, the ability to, like go back like that like that long that long in time to like to like pull from those works to like you know do their own versions of cinderella or like you know mickey mouse or like whatever i don't know it's ridiculous i've just I, i've been ranting for so long <laughs> the common law countries where i hear a lot of these copyright complaints where precedent has such a stronger hold than statute um it seems that over the years the power of large corporations that have a vested interest in copyright that lasts longer and has more uh, weight have slowly but but surely put themselves in a position where they can exploit that and so i mean that's what i see going on here whether it's good or bad that's kind of like what is what has occurred and what you know the result of it is the current problems we have with copyright yeah and and the, the idea of companies holding on to to property i i think that that bothers me more than limits for individual artists. Like I, I, I think that there should be some sort of a system to protect uh, artist creations so that as soon as they 
create something and doesn't get gobbled up by someone with a bunch of money who can monetize it faster than they can. But that Disney doesn't need to just be like sitting, like be this dragon sitting on this treasure of the creations of a bunch of dead people because it, I, I think it's just lazy. Like, I, I, I don't know if these trends are necessarily related, but I, I feel like I, I'm seeing somewhat of a connection to this kind of broader phenomenon of like reboots and yeah. like sequels. Hauntology. And, well, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. We've been there before. It keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've been there before, but like, I, I feel, I, I know it seems to me that there is a bit of a relation between like, like sitting on old copyrighted material and, just like like not create like 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 the stifling of creative innovation. Yeah, I would actually like to revisit that. But but to to Noah's point, another company that does this um, a very similar practice is Nintendo, because you hear a lot of stories of um, like very small time like just developers or just people who announce like, hey, I'm going to be doing this cool project of like I don't know. Uh, a like unity version of of ocarina of time or or i don't know like just some like you know zelda game or mario game or some sonic a classic sonic was not nintendo uh, well that's, game. Se- that's that's sega yeah, it, yeah. it's sega yeah well, <laughs> well but yeah but it was another similar thing that was sonic as well with sega but but i guess focusing on nintendo um like them doing a lot of like cease and desist letters to them also with people who play their games and upload them to youtube that's another practice that they've done. So, I don't know. I, I remember Hadrian bringing up something about Nintendo recently. Yeah, th- th- like, that's why I was glad that you brought it up because I, like, totally forgot. Because, like, Nintendo has been, like, they, they, they have been, like, rung through the ringer or whatever the terminology is um, by gamers. You know, you, you remember that copy pasta <laughs> oh, that's, like, they targeted gamers. Like, that was the last straw. <laughs> that's what's happening with uh, Nintendo right now. Um because they um, have have sent a bunch of cease and desist letters to like, you know, people are doing like tournaments of of, of Smash or whatever, um, and they like they, they 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 prevented them from being able to stream the tournament, which is like kind of weird, especially because of the pandemic. It's like people can't go and actually see the tournament. Um, they uh, th- they had this thing where they like also did a cease and desist on these like third party Switch Joy Cons. Um, that were sort of like in honor of somebody of like somebody who had died recently, um, like all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, the thing is that like I guess like for for Nintendo like, like like it's like with the whole like like sort of like let's play or people don't call them let's plays anymore, but they used to um, just like gaming YouTube or whatever. Um, like that stuff is in a in a very moral like or not moral but legal gray area of just like you know, but but the fact that like 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 it's like nintendo is like really the only like major game developer that actually goes after people for doing it and so they catch a lot of flack for that as a result um because it seems like the other like the other like large developers like you know bethesda or ea or whatever they don't seem to care very much yeah like you know and people will shit on like a bethesda game like crazy like people like like like, like i guess like you know with skyrim like fallout 4 or yeah fallout 4 like the, the, the games or, or fallout 76 yeah like like those games like people didn't really like like there are a lot of people that don't like those games for various reasons like some people like skyrim or fallout 4 but like you know, I, I've played Fallout 4 and I was not super impressed by it. Um, and, and, but it has MIT. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, 
but yeah, it's just like yeah, Nintendo because Nintendo's like the only big player that actually goes after people. Then it's like, oh no. A lot of companies see the Let's Plays and the online culture that's developed around viewing the game content that, while other people are playing it as free advertising. Um, I guess Nintendo has probably done a cost benefit or does, you know has some company mission statement that tells them not to follow that lead. Um, but for me, I mean, it, this seems like kind of obvious. Like, why wouldn't you want people to get excited about your game in that sort of way? Well, Nintendo doesn't necessarily need the free advertising. Like Nintendo sort of like rests on the laurels of their of their sort of uh like their brands, like Cast the Mario of Zelda. characters. Yeah, all that stuff. So like they don't actually need the free advertising. Mm-hmm. But they probably also don't need the PR disaster that results from being as aggressive as they are about about these things every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. A a point that Tom Scott made that resonated with me was that while there there is this balance between like yes it's free advertising and that might draw more attention to games that might not otherwise be purchased but the other side of that is that people might choose not to get a game because you say oh i've already watched people play it i know the story mm-hmm. i enjoyed watching it but now i don't feel like i need to play it and i think that that's a very real phenomenon but you know what the net effect is is hard to tell yeah it's humorous because I can say that's happened to me before. Um, there was also a game that I couldn't get because I didn't have the console <laughs> to play it. Um, but I've also seen a Let's Play and bought a game, so it's hard to quantify for me at least. Yeah, same here. Like I bought Mini Metro because of a because of a gameplay video that I saw of it like six or seven years ago at this point. Um, and then the, yeah, there are other games like. Like, like, like it's like, you know, H bomber guy has these like 12 hour <laughs> reviews of video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're th- like, like those I think are, are those I think do fit like squarely within fair use because like, they're just very like in-depth reviews of the game and, and like his sort of like level of game criticism is like beyond like the sort of like sh- dumb bullshit that you see with like IGN where it's like, oh, the graphics weren't that great. 9.6 <laughs> like too much know. water yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> too wait too too much too water, much water too out of physics <laughs> no it's i think it's pokemon review i don't know it was a, like a long time ago uh, there was a pokemon game review from ign or something and like at the end they were like two out of ten too much water and that was the end of the review like pokemon snap no i don't remember which pokemon it was but there was too much like water on the map and there were too many water pokemon and the reviewer was just like terrible game there was too much water pokemon <laughs> yeah but 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 going back to h bomber guy like he he released a video about the game pathologic which is like 15 years old at this point um uh, but no spoilers no spoilers no but that's the <laughs> thing because i like, like it's like that video is really good um but like he 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 recounts the entire plot of the story like all of it like literally he tells you everything that happens in the video game um but he also encourages you to buy the sequel and then doesn't explain what happens in the sequel. So that's that's good, I guess. Saves you from that. Yeah, I I never really thought about video game playthroughs, streaming, kind of that whole uh, universe of content in, in this way before. But it, it, it made me th- think about, like, what's the difference between someone doing a Let's Play of a game where they're not really doing any kind of structured critique, but just like more just providing another level of entertainment more than anything. What's the difference between that and like an audio book? Well, uh, people do that with live streaming, right? Like they might live stream yeah. themselves playing Minecraft and they're just there. 
yeah, yeah, they're just there experiencing the game, but not really adding much else. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not like, I'm I'm not a corporate shill or anything, but it did have a, <laughs> it it did resonate with me in thinking like, yeah, like why do people make money off of just playing games? Yeah, like like it's like you look at a like I remember when PewDiePie was coming up, like you know, almost ten years ago at this point, um, and like. You know, the, the the types of Let's Plays that I watched, like, even then were, like, a bit more sort of, like, I guess cerebral, <laughs> as crazy <laughs> as that is to say. Because it's quiet, and then every now and then I, I don't something. know what that means. Well, well, because, like, because like PewDiePie is, like, very, like, primal, basic. Like, well, yeah. He made, yeah, he made yeah, like, I, he made, like, like, very disgusting rape jokes, and, like, he would be like, oh, no, this is a right. barrel. Like, I like a pig. Like, whatever. Like, I don't know. This guy. Oh, yeah. I remember now. I mean, yeah. Okay. I, I'm starting to remember. Because I, I watched him, and markiplier around the same time yeah back in 20 like right when i was starting high school i think in 2012 yeah and and, um, and, and the let's plays that i like preferred <laughs> to watch like had like better production value and like would actually like talk about the game in like an interesting way instead of just being like oh my god it's so epic like i don't know like yeah, that that's why i always watched the uh, dark side film <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that that is a true gamer reference right there for friends. <clears throat> but uh, no, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, like, yeah, like I I I feel well at that time YouTube was a very very strange place. place. Um, but 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 yeah, I mean like you know the personalities were more animated. I, I don't know. I feel like right now, um, I don't know. I mean this was probably said before in a in a in an older episode of ours, but something like YouTube is like. Uh, it, it it's like um, kind of like what like Amazon Prime where it's like it doesn't actually generate almost like any revenue for the people who are know, doing like it. In Amazon Prime's case, it's Amazon, but in YouTube's case, it's Google. Like it's just something um, that you know. Actually, no, I actually don't know the answer to this. Like why Google still continues with YouTube? Well, it's obviously making them money. Right, but in what way? Because I, I would assume that YouTube like actually doesn't generate them. Like the ads have been getting a lot more aggressive lately. This is why. Well, okay, that's true. That's true. The, the ads have the 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 ad adpocalypse adpocalypse. They, they actually they, like I I was fine. I finally decided to get YouTube Premium, um, because I uh... mostly watch YouTube on my phone, which people think is weird, or at least older people mm. think is weird. Um, but I, like, okay. I, I watch YouTube on my phone and yeah, somebody who's like 27 will be like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, cause I'm a zoomer guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I was just like sick of like, like literally like the, the, like the ad placement is like so terrible now too. Like they're just like, you know, it's like li- literally anytime, like there's like a, a, a short pause, like in the middle of a sentence, there'll be some ad to like join the army or whatever. And I was just like, I'm fucking sick of this. I have a job now. Like, I like, I'm just so. So you joined the army. Yeah, I joined the army. So you could, so you could, so you could not watch these ads. Yeah, it's like, so I could stop getting those ads and start getting more like Tide commercials or whatever. It's like, thank you for joining the army. What has driven you to serve your country? It's like the guys, the stupid ads. YouTube. Ad. With your awful fucking like stop. EDM ripoff bullshit. This music is so bad. <laughs> That's the sound of war now. <laughs> It's like dubstep? A, yeah, it's a dubstep. <laughs> yeah. 
It's EDM. It's the it's the sound of crunching on Doritos and the and the fizz of a Mountain Dew. It's like sitting down at your UAV desk. It's like crack open a Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. You're using you're you're uh, you're piloting a drone with an Xbox One controller. That's actually. Oh, that's fine. Real. I mean, they've got. Wait, what if they're what if they're like Twitch team, like the the Army esports <laughs> Twitch team? What if like they weren't actually playing games? <laughs> it's just like no, no, no. Oh, it's like Ender's like, Game. No, like the game. Well, no, it's all well, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, you, 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 okay, yeah, you beat me to the punchline, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, but it would just be plastered with ads. Like, yeah. like they're sitting in this room, like, like flying these drones, like blowing the shit out of people. And it's like, welcome to the Frito Lay sponsored like <laughs> army uav room <laughs> yeah it, it's it's like that black mirror episode that i that i talked about uh, like several episodes ago the 15 million merits yeah what guy holds the glass shard up against his neck yeah. at the end uh, yeah. yeah good episode oh spoilers huh <laughs> <laughs> The rest is empty with no brain but the clever nerd the best mc with no chain you ever heard Take it from the Tech Nine Hola. David, don't know their next shine from Shinola. Everything that glitter ain't fish scale. Let me Maybe this is a good time until I get into Aaron Schwartz. If 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 you all had like either known about him or did any info digging about that stuff. Because I, I think we did mention that we we're gonna talk a bit about it since it was yeah. Extremely related to intellectual property. Yeah, I only did a little mm-hmm. bit of research, but I guess it, it, like you know we'll just talk about it and we yeah. can talk about like the stuff like we, surrounding we, it. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, I don't think we needed to really watch what well, the documentary. What was it called Internet's Own Boy? I watched it like a long time ago. Uh, I think like in high school. But um I mean, it's 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 useful. It's like, you know, it, it's more about his like his life than um than really like the the whole MIT JSTOR scandal. But I guess we are getting a little too ahead of ourselves. So um well, crap, I guess I was the one that introduced it. All right. So, yeah, so... Hector. <laughs> who was well, Aaron Shorts? I guess, like, the way I would describe him is, uh, you know, someone who... Very extremely intelligent young man who, you know, passed away. Like, I would say in, his, in the prime of his life, um, he... Uh, very passionate about political activism, as well as, I would say more importantly, like... Uh, the freedom of like the free flow of information, I guess. Yeah. He was, uh, he was big on SOPA, which is, which is like a related to this topic. And actually, I don't know if people remember SOPA. It was, uh, it was one of the, it, it's one of the many a- attempts by, um, by, by Congress, uh, to like crack down on piracy. Like SOPA stood for stop online piracy act. Um, it was like a huge, like there was a huge campaign, like all across the internet. Like there were like, there was this like massive like blackout protest like websites like Wikipedia were participating in this like they were trying as hard as they could because it was like the like amount of intrusion required to like do SOPA was like completely unacceptable to a lot of people uh, and Aaron Schwartz was one of the people like who 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 was sort of like at the at the forefront of that campaign. Yeah, initially he uh, at least according to him he wasn't like uh, motivated by that or as in like it wasn't like part of it wasn't part of his like plate of like things to to work on like he was more focused on you know stuff like financial reform healthcare, you know, things like that nothing as obscure like copyright law in his own words but you know that obviously changed um and there was like a couple of reasons or a couple of things that actually um factored into this 
like change in his life. Um, I, I, one of them, there was, um, uh, what was it called? He, he had attended like some, uh, it was like some, con not a conference. It was just like, um, there's probably some fancy words to say it. It was just like a get together of a bunch of people who were interested in open access issues. Um, this was like in Italy, I think. Um, and then that's where he like started to learn more and more about how open access issues in the world, not in the US mostly, but like in, around the world, like work. And, and then he realized, you know, how, how behind he was in that sense. Like he, he, he I, I think he probably had thought that he had things kind of figured out in terms of open act, like, you know, he had a lot of ideas, but he, you know, didn't really get how bad things were in like the developing world. And then he did, and then, you know, over the, the course of like that, uh, get together conferencing or whatever he did kind of opened his eyes and then kind of set into motion things that he ended up, you know, doing, you know, years down the line. Um, uh, do you have anything else uh, other than that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, well, I was going to mention real quick that I just realized something about SOPA, which is that that whole campaign to, like, strike down SOPA, like, you know, as, as good as it was, like, for, from a sort of, like, you know, principled standpoint of all that kind of stuff, like, it actually, like, seems like a kind of preview of the sort of, like, 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 like just the absolute influence that big tech would then soon have over the like entire world like like in a few years time basically because like you know it seemed like you know when sopa and typo were going through congress where it was like oh no like it might actually be like the case that this this sort of thing happens but then there were a bunch of companies that got behind it like on the other side like google wikipedia like uh i think like i don't know i don't, I don't know what else but there were a bunch of a bunch of different like tech companies that were like not in favor of this and were like campaigning against it and like now like all of those companies like basically like run the whole situation and so it's like oh no um but yeah <laughs> uh the the idea was sound at the time it was just unfortunate the sort of like immense power that they would then build to do other things that are not as good anyway um yeah it only took a couple of years yeah um what i didn't realize uh we'll, we'll, like we'll get to the jstor thing soon but like I, I like in in the small amount of reading that I did uh, before this before this episode, um, I, I I found out that Aaron Schwartz had actually done a similar thing with court documents. Like th like there were these public court documents that were um, like on this database that you that you had to like like it's like there was this database that you had to pay to access or something. Um, and so, so he used the free trial of that to download as many documents as possible and then like put them on a separate database that was available for free. Um, that initial move, uh, caught the attention of the FBI, but because he technically wasn't doing anything illegal because those court documents are all public record and are, should be available for free. Um, there was really nothing that they could charge him with. Like, even though people wanted to charge him, like there was nothing that they could charge him with because what he was doing was perfectly legal. One thing that is interesting about that is that apparently, like, uh, British government documents uh, don't have the same restriction or not, or quote unquote restriction, the same. Uh, uh, the statute. Like pay to be able to uh, up, uh, upload. Permission, it. I guess, is the, the, the yeah. same permissions. Like, you actually, like, 
like 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 they sell like government like like it's like the law like british law like you have like like you can purchase like you, like it's like a it's copy not, of it it's not like public domain it's like 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 the copyright is owned by like i don't know like her majesty's Court. law place <laughs> or something <laughs> in america as a compliment to that there's a lot of um mechanical engineering electrical engineering institutes which will form standards of how you should build mechanical systems or how you should design electrical systems. Like the IEEE? Yeah, like the IEEE. Or like how you should build bridges that are safe. And the codes behind this that are like stamped you know, by these institutes, they'll charge people to, to buy them. Which you, and you need to buy them to like build the bridge or like build the high-voltage transmission line. So similar compliment in the U.S. It happens here too. Yeah, but 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 like I think it's much more egregious when it's government documents because yeah. it's like it's the like like why why should I have to pay to know what the law is? That's ridiculous. It's like if I if the laws are going to be enforced on me, then I shouldn't have to pay to know what the law is. It's ridiculous. I agree. I guess I just repeated myself. But anyway, ignorance of the law is not freedom from the law. Yeah. Um. A few years later, um, Aaron Schwartz would pull would do something similar in at mit like he he had some sort of like guest account or something because i don't think he ever like like he might have like worked at csail or something um but he wasn't like an actual like student or faculty member he was just a, maybe a research scientist or something um and he basically like went into an unmarked unlocked closet um and and, and put this laptop to just download a bunch of stuff from jstor and then put it into a into a database now this was a little more like sort of like like legally gray as uh, as you might say because court documents are public record um but, so i guess i should say j for for people who don't know jstor is a is a giant repository of uh academic documents like papers and things like that um those things can be sold and are sold routinely um and, um because you know universities have to make money when they're not making money from Jeffrey Epstein or from investing in oil, mm-hmm. they, they have to have other sources of income as well. And some of that comes from sort of publishing papers and uh, charging people to read them. Uh, even though like, you know, as, as some would argue, as I'm sure Aaron Schwartz would have argued and probably had argued um, like that information also deserves to be free. Like this important sort of knowledge about just like the sort of like, uh, like sort of newest findings from 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 the field of like from all these different fields like people should know like sort of like what's going on there and not have to like pay to like read about like these great new discoveries and all that kind of stuff yeah um so aaron schwartz decided to take matters into his own hands um unfortunately he was he was arrested for that uh, i think this happened in like 2011 um mm-hmm. and then after a sort of like protracted court situation um yeah um uh, aaron schwartz uh, committed suicide in his apartment um and yeah i i i, I don't know how to it was like, like two years later yeah, uh, yeah before he was like brought into 2013 court yeah but the... b- b- like like basically th- they were doing a back and forth with like trying to figure out like you know he he denied a plea bargain he made a counter offer and then they rejected it and then two days later he was found dead in his apartment um yeah, I don't know how to continue a conversation from something that that's sort of, so that's from well, something that's sort of dark, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I was gonna do something. I was like, <laughs> say something stupid. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> no, well, like the thing about you said about like JSTOR. Well, I was gonna mention something about JSTOR is like, um, uh, like what I what I saw. Like I was like reading something from the New Republic that was like talking about Aaron Schwartz as well, and they like um, this person who like wrote this article like 
was talking about someone else writing about JSTOR, and that person had mentioned that, like, there's, like, a lot of stuff that is, you know, high, hidden behind, like, you know, this, like, large paywall. It's, like, off-limits to public. But, uh, but high-energy physics and string theory is open to everyone. And I just thought that was just, like, hilarious because, like, <laughs> at least as from what I found, like, I can, like, look up whatever, I guess, like, physics paper, and I can just, like, find it. Or, well... It's it, it's just there. I can just get a PDF of it, and I was just like, oh well, that's convenient for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, not so convenient for people who like don't give a shit about that stuff. Um, but yeah, so um, I guess to follow up on what Hadrian was saying, so to get some more you know details on that, so obviously there's like a couple of actors here. Um, you got Aaron Schwartz in the middle of all this stuff, right? Uh, trying to download. Um, articles from JSTOR uh, in order to, you know, share it with, you know, basically the internet. Um, kind of like a democratization of information. Uh, then you had JSTOR, obviously, uh, who did not like this. And then you had MIT, who, uh, I mean, I guess some people would say, for better or worse, you know, they remain neutral. I would be obviously on the worst side of things, but, um, you know, that's obvious. Uh, but I guess to pr- provide some details on on, on this stuff. So, um, yeah. So, 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 like at the, at the time, um, with with MIT, like they took the position that it was just like a lawsuit um, that they like were not a party up like officially. Uh, so they, you know, that's that's you know. F- the reason they gave for them being, you know, quote unquote neutral. Yeah. The, the thing about that though, that I, that I should mention is that he was arrested by MIT police officers for breaking yeah. and entering, which is like the dumbest, like it, it's a fucking unlocked closet. <laughs> like how is that breaking and entering? That does, it, it's like, you know, if he like had enough permission to go into MIT to have a fucking guest user account for whatever reason, like maybe a guest Kerberos or something, like how is it that going into an unmarked closet or like an unlocked closet is like, oh, he's breaking and entering. Oh, that like it's ridiculous. That's such a stupid fucking charge. Yeah, and especially considering that MIT has this culture of openness when it comes to research, like the campus is accessible to anyone. You don't have to be a student to walk in. You know, even members of the public can you know, like stroll into the library, pull books off the shelves, read journals. Yep. Like, and, and I think just in general, the culture of the institute is one of like sharing research as much as much as possible. Yeah. Like OCW is a great example. But 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 I think that's like on a um, what would that be? Would that be considered low level or like like basically like like on the level of like students, professors, mm-hmm. like things like that? On that level, I would agree. Yeah, 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 but but it's just so contradictory, and and I think that I mean th- there is like a really critical difference here, but that I mean I I, I don't know it, it's just yeah it's just ridiculous. So the criticism levied uh, against MIT was that from from you know Schwartz's family and friends, and then people from MIT, students, faculty, and then s- supporters you know of the internet. Um, so the criticism was that MIT you know didn't do enough to stop. The, the the federal case against uh, against Schwartz. Um, and then, you know, there was, like, you know, uh, I think there was, like, a panel led by uh, uh, some people who... Um, there, there, there was a panel led by a guy called Hal Abelson who uh, prepared um, a report with, like, a pledge from MIT leaders that the work um, of the report, like, would not be subject to administrative review. And then, you know, 
presented it to Rife and you know stuff like that. Yeah. By the way, and obviously in Rife. Oh, yeah. uh, Hal Abelson is uh, one of the professors for six eight zero five, which is the tech policy class, which is a very good class. Just like anyone who happens to be listening to this show who is still an MIT <laughs> student, um, like <laughs> like like I guess like only one person in the show is still an MIT student. Um, yeah, check check out that class. It's super great. Right. Well. Okay. All right. So. I guess I'll just be more specific some stuff. stuff. Yeah, so, like, initially the report was going to take, like, a couple of weeks, but it, well, it actually lasted six months. Had, like, about, like, I don't know, 10,000 pages of documents. Wait, you're telling me that MIT had a protracted administrative process? Well, 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 this was, well, well, this was Hal Abelson along with, like, uh, a couple other people um, doing this. Like, like, like he, he, he said, I mean, what, what I had mentioned is that this wouldn't be subject to administrative review. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, so uh, he did it with uh, Peter Diamond, a professor emeritus of economics, and then Andrew Grosso, who I guess is like just a Washington lawyer with no ties to MIT. But yeah, gave it to Rife. Uh, Rife read it, and he was like, "I'm saddened by you know." Oh my this. god! <laughs> <laughs> did, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, okay. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll actually say the words from from this article. I'll, although uh, I do not recall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He said he read the report with, uh, and I quote, a deep sense of sadness for the loss of this brilliant young man mm. and hope that some good could come from the questions raised by the case. Um, but anyway, uh, the report argues um, uh, that MIT should have seen the case uh, like not just as someone, you know, as a prosecution of someone with no formal connection to MIT because, you know, in, Schwartz wasn't a student, um, but it was as, you know, something uh demonstrative of like the larger tensions in society around open access and uh digital property in, in you know in the current age we live in um and then the the report also goes on to say that mit could have done more for the defense such as giving schwartz's lawyers all the evidence given to the prosecution without having to wait for a subpoena um and it also goes the same goes for like interviewing the witnesses but uh yeah, obviously, you know, Rife kind of just like look at it, and he's like, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, that, I mean, that, that kind of to sum it up. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, Hadrian, you know, mentioned like what what happened. So 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 there's that. You know, Schwartz was indicted on these felony charges in 2011, um, and essentially, like uh, the authorities said that he was an unauthorized user of MIT's network. And that if he was convicted, um, that he would have to like face, like, I guess, I think it was like millions of dollars in fines and then up to like 30, 30 some years in prison. Um, so uh, what is the deal with all of this stuff? Well, obviously, um, there are people who were not happy with this and also said that uh, there was a lot of things that MIT did do um, that was uh, act actively harmful to... Uh, like you know the defense and, and Schwartz and, and and you know things like that. Like like for one, as I mentioned, you know, giving uh, Schwartz's lawyers, you know, the evidence that they gave to the uh, the prosecutors, the federal prosecutors. Mm -hmm. um, also, just just even saying, coming out immediately and and being publicly against the prosecution, um, like or even just saying something like you know, we don't want this prosecution to go forward. That's all they had to do. At least this is what. Um, the dissidents, I guess, um, the people who criticize MIT stance on this would have to say on this. 
Um, there was also uh, something interesting that I also saw. Um, so Schwartz's mentor, uh, professor of law at Harvard, uh, goes by Lawrence Lessig, had posted in his blog that uh, he, well, essentially that um, after reading an initial read of the report, um, that it revealed that MIT never told prosecutors that Schwartz's access to the network was unauthorized, but rather that the laptop was not supposed to be plugged into the Ethernet jack that it was plugged into. Which uh, So if it was connected to the MIT Wi-Fi network, then everything would have been totally hunky-dory? I, I, I think. Uh. I mean, because like the, 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 the main part was, of the, was that the whole case, like the, the, the case that the government, the, you know, the, the, the government had against Schwartz hinged on the fact that, or on the assumption that his access to the network was unauthorized. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they didn't determine, like, if the access to the network was authorized or not. And if it was not unauthorized, uh, which is what Aaron's, you know, uh, Schwartz's team said from the start, uh, then, uh, you know, I, I think that would have been, like, one of the big, uh, uh, like, things that would have supported Aaron in, in his favor. That's so weird that uh, it's like that, that would have been like the, de- the, the, like the big detail smoking gun. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like, like, like it's like in, in that case, like it, it doesn't even seem like the articles like even matter at that point. Like if, if, if you're, t- if you're just talking about like, Oh, he was connected to the ethernet. He should have been connected to Wi-Fi because like, you know, there are Wi-Fi networks at MIT that don't require authentication. Um, and so like, just, I don't know. It's just very strange to me that that would be like a huge detail in this case. Of, like I don't know. It, it, it almost like it, like 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 it's like I I I don't know the the details of the case myself, and I I'm not entirely sure like how much of a role like the articles themselves actually played in in the in that whole process. Um, but like I don't know. It, 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 it like it just seems really silly to just like to to sort of focus on that specific aspect of it because like yeah like like in in the spirit of the openness of mit that noah was mentioning earlier like anyone can connect to like M- like like mit's wi-fi network it's it's like but plug, plugging in the ethernet cable like that just seems like i don't know it's really yeah it's i guess that the prosecution um also might not have understood the sort of scale of this transgression and like what was intended by the I guess in this case, Aaron's action. What do you mean by transgression? Well, that, no, no. Um, well, the, the like thing—the thing is that I actually, I, I, I would, uh, I don't, I wouldn't agree with that. I think because um, what, what a lot of people, and I would say myself included, and this is um, not to put on my tin foil hat on, but uh, I mean, they, they knew full well what they were doing, um, what they were prosecuting him for, and like what the consequence, or like. Uh, what the consequences, you know, would be for Schwartz, and all, but also like the message that it, it would send to people. Mm. Um, like, I mean, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen the, you know, Internet's own boy, but I could, be, if I could recall correctly, like towards the end of the movie, like it, it, it um, has some people like um, giving the opinion that the, like the prosecutors, the, the you know, the government, and to some extent MIT. Um, which, you know, you can agree with that or not on um, the MIT part, 
um, is that it, it's sort of like making Aaron Schwartz like uh, an example. I, an example, yes. I don't say martyr, but that's what he ended up becoming, um, unfortunately. But yes, an example. Making an example of him, like you know, this is what this 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 is what would happen if you activist too much. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Um, hmm. how, how do I put this? Um, that that is, I guess, an unfortunate reality of activism as a concept. Um, which you know, this is the part of the show where we get way abstract. Um, is that there are consequences to acts of civil disobedience? Um, not to say that those consequences are deserved in in most cases, right? Like. You know, you know, you you can go far back to like you know, like you know, like Martin Luther King was imprisoned many times for for his actions, um, but like you know, a lot of a lot of like Black Lives Matter activists in the wake of various uh, police related protests have been murdered uh, over the past few years. Like not even just by police officers, but just by like random people. It seems it seems you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll get a little bit tinfoil hat over here, um, but like. There, like that is kind of like one of the things, which is that like if you want to change the status quo, like unfortunately, like there is sometimes. Well, I mean, like like it's like that that changes to the status quo don't happen like just like purely for like in these like very like um, sort of like peaceful terms, right? Like the people who are fighting for one thing or another like they're going to suffer like on the road to to that um and so you will have cases of people like aaron schwartz um who who who's who, who were faced with this sort of like unbearable consequences um for mm-hmm. what seems like a, a relatively benign act of civil disobedience sort of thinking larger now how does that relate to your feelings towards the old statement might makes right have you ever heard of that no so I heard it when I was in like high school a bunch, but like sometimes the teachers who are a little more radical would, would say it, the, the phrase might makes right, which is like those with the most power, you know, the, the most might just determine what is societally right. And by having power, you can determine what status quo, the laws, what is socially acceptable and that it takes power to displace power. I mean, yeah, sure, but like I don't know. At the same time, like there, there are these people who are like not like in like like like, like it's like you know, maybe people had like you know like legitimate like sort of like leadership skills in a sense. Um, like they had the sort of like charisma and like energy and like the patience and the compassion required to like uh, to to uh, uh, like the focus to stay on message and all that kind of stuff that I don't have certainly, um, and. That 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 is a, that is a, a a sense of power in itself, like the power to uh, convince many people to sort of assemble for for a cause that that uh, that you all collectively believe in, um, is an immense kind of power that is sort of hard to uh, get, like in these in these days, right? Like mm-hmm. these sort of atomized times or whatever. Um, you know, these like like you know, it seems like a lot of the um, sort of demonstrations and pieces of activism are mostly uh led well they're not led is kind of the issue like they like 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 you know with with these protests like it like there isn't really any sort of like 
you know, central driving force um, behind them. And, and and for some people, that's kind of the point, it's like with movement. the Occupy movement. Yeah. Uh, like, like there wasn't any particular like leader of the Occupy movement. It was all kind of sort of like, like, I don't know. Individuals. A, a collective. Well, no, it's the opposite of individuals. No, no, individuals all like joining together, but yeah. not assigning a leader. Yeah. That That has its disadvantages, right? Because like, then if you try to like ask any individual person, like, well, what are your demands? Like people will have different ideas of what they want out of things. Like, like for example, like with the, like, you know, if you talk about like, if you have like a snap, you know, what Obama would call a snappy slogan, like, you know, defund the police Medicare for all, all that kind of stuff. Like defund the police is actually a big one because like in the summer when people were saying defund the police, like everybody had a different sense of what that actually meant. Like somebody would be like, Oh, you really mean defund the police? And they're like, well, no, we don't actually mean defund the police. Like, we mean, like, you know, get some money for schools and or whatever. And then ask somebody else, and it's like, yeah. yeah, defund the police. Yeah, exactly. There was a, like, there was an article in the New York Times from Mary Ann Kaba, who's, like, a big prison abolitionist. And she was like, no, we literally mean defund the police. It's like, well, some people don't. And that's kind of the problem <laughs> is that, like, there isn't, like, that sort of, I don't know, consistency. And, and the thing is, it's like, that, that may just be the fact that, like, we're living in the present and like we see all of the problems and the sort of like lack of organization and the uncertainty in the moment that we don't see quite as much like when we have the sort of like that the, the sort of like rose tinted glasses of, of of history like maybe there was similar problems in the 1960s like i'm sure there were because like it seemed like uh like hearing about like the summer of love like there was a bunch of like horrible shit that was happening then and like it, it seemed like a lot of st- stuff was going on and then like even like with the civil rights movement like it ended pretty acrimonious like uh, pretty acrimoniously for a lot of those people like you know obviously martin luther king and malcolm x were both assassinated robert kennedy i think was also assassinated T- plenty of people um and so that, that that's kind of a, a similar thing where it's like even in those cases where it's like oh people talk about like yeah racism is over because of 1968 or whatever um like Th- that also came with a price for 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 the people who were sort of central to that movement um and unfortunately like that, that that's kind of what is what also happened here um with Aaron Schwartz is that he he like like he died um for for, for in, in this situation um as a result of the sort of overwhelming pressure of of consequences levied upon him for an act of civil disobedience that he committed um and that is a thing that, that sort of acts as a deterrent from people from trying to make uh, a an active effort to shift the status quo in any particular direction. Well, I guess in a more progressive direction because it's like it's like you know it feels like America is just sort of regressing back into 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 like I don't know savagery or whatever. Um, like that, that I, I guess that's the kind of like central notion of of that of this segment. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, also just to like. Uh, um, kind of rub in the wound just even more. Um, very early on in this whole JSTOR, Darren Schwartz um, case, um, like JSTOR declined to pursue their own action against uh, Schwartz. Yeah. And then they also had Ridiculous. asked the government to drop it. Yeah. Uh, but, and then you had MIT in the corner kind of not doing anything and not being clear Twiddling about things. like, like yeah, kind of totally with Don's being like like it, like again. This is why people, when they say that if MIT had been publicly against the you know this case, um, it would have been very likely that the government would have dropped it because mm-hmm. JSTOR was you know in the first one to ask the government to drop it. MIT wasn't clear, so the prosecutors had the excuse to 
go forward. Uh, continue. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, it, MIT Divest, if you're listening, I wish you the best of luck. Anybody have any comments? Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm stopping the recording.